Cancel culture is real. CrossPolitik is on the front lines of this battle with the goal of creating a Christian television network and platform where we can't be canceled and where content creators will have the freedom to glorify God. Our goal is to create a space for like-minded businesses to thrive on this platform and to reach an audience that will not only buy your products and services, but also support your business when the heat of cancel culture comes your way. We want our platform to help you create an anti-fragile business as we bring together Christians from all over the world to tune in. With millions of downloads a year, access to DirecTV, Xfinity, and social media outlets, we are excited to partner with you. So, if you own a business and believe in this vision, then you need to call me. I'm Garrison Hardy, and I am the business development rep at CrossPolitik and the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We are looking for businesses, large or small, that not only have great products and services, but also understand that the cultural battle that is impacting the business climate here and now. I have a background in marketing, and I'd love to help you advertise your business on CrossPolitik. Give me a call at 208-792-1290 or email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. That's right. You know you can buy this song on iTunes. You can? Yeah, this is this is Ivy Connerly. He has a whole album. Um, he has a whole album out called Giant Season. And this track actually made it on the album. So, Ivy Connerly. Giant Season, I believe, is the title of the album. Um... So there, he's actually a pretty decent album. He's got some he's got some superstars on there too. Mm-hmm. But anyways, you can go to iTunes and buy it. Hey everybody, thank you for joining Water Break with Water Boy and comedian next door John Branion. Always good to have you, John. Yep. Thanks for thanks for joining. I'm setting up uh, I'm setting up a little music here. I need I need a producer. You know. You do. Are to, you going to do your sound effects? To do everything. Yeah, I got I got a. <laughs> This one, it's not very good. Not that one. <laughs> how'd your How'd your week go, John? The good sound effect. My week is good. Um, it's, I, I taught youth group last night, oh. and uh, we talked about how you should uh, you should learn from your mistakes, definitely. But it's better to learn from other people's mistakes mm-hmm. if you can give the wisdom to watch other people fail. You save yourself a lot of pain and suffering. Yeah. In other words, read the Bible. Yes, you can read the Bible. Because, <laughs> you know, Peter fell. He, he messed up. You know, a lot of people messed up in the Bible. Yeah. Well, specifically, we were talking about Solomon, who had basically everything that a person could want and said, yeah, this doesn't really mean anything. There's no, there's nothing to this. Um, you can, you can listen to a guy. When a rich guy tells you that all of his riches isn't fulfilling him, you should pay attention to that. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Amen. How many how many kids you got in your youth group there? Uh, it varies from week to week. Somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty, probably. Okay. Good. Good, Is your county still like going COVID crazy or doing weird COVID stuff? No, it, it not not as a county. It, there's there's no mask uh, mandates, but you still got the signs up that I think intimidate a lot of people. You know, there's still the sign up with a mask that says if you're not fully vaccinated, then you need to wear a mask. And I think a lot of people are still threatened by that. Wow. Wow. Well, in my 
so I think I think I came up with I don't know if it's that good of a name. Remember we asked for okay what, we asked for a name on what we should nickname you, and then we also asked for a name on what should we call the my monologue, right? And um, we had a bunch of good suggestions, and then YouTube canceled us, so I don't I I, I don't have those suggestions <laughs> so anymore. Know. So we don't know. So yeah. I think we the the name we came up with in my monologue I think needs to be a little more fire than if if we're gonna do this, but it needs to be. It's going to be, you know, tsunami, or uh-huh. tsunami log. That was another. That was another suggestion. No, I, oh, that was a suggestion. Was tsunami log? No, that was just another of my suggestions. Wasn't oh, yours, okay. but there you go. Tsunami. You know, start a tsunami, big, like big it. wave. I like it. And because then the, it, the it, it matches with the water boy theme. That and that's important because <laughs> we're very thematic here. And and here's the here's the noise. I think. I came up with to starting the the tsunami. It's not a, not, it's not a very good noise. <laughs> that's that's it's not funny. a very it sounds like somebody's plunging a toilet. <laughs> Splash. <laughs> well, tsunami, okay. folks, for the for the monologue for the tsunami this week. Um, I've been thinking about this. You know, we're two years. Into crushing the curve, you know, day fourteen, right? You know, two years, two weeks into crushing the fourteen-day curve, and if there's, if there's anything that God is showing us is that our our nation's full of soft men, you know, keep your head down kind of men, spineless coward kind of men. Um, church leaders have fallen silent at their post. Um, still, pews are closed. You know, sheep are left without. Shepherds, in a lot of ways. I mean, there's just no direction that's coming faithfully from the church. Church leaders care more about being liked by their base than actually speaking truth of God's word into a dying culture, dying society. Uh, now, despite vaccine rates being significantly higher this year, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, last year there was zero vaccines. Right, 2020, we got we got zero. Uh, this year. Uh, we actually, I think we're, America is now up to 56% uh, in vaccine, in vaccine, vaccinating the population here in the U S that's of course nationwide, um, which re- reminds me of a joke, John, um, uh, you know, I've already messed it up <laughs> the vaccine. Um, you know, most of you, um, Oh no! How'd it go? This reminds me of a vaccine joke, but it only works sixty percent of the time. That's it. That's my vaccine joke. It only works sixty percent of the time, and it used to work. You know, back a couple months ago, it was about seventy percent of the time, and then now it's down to it was it went to sixty five percent. Now my vaccine joke went to. I mean, it's actually probably zero based on how I delivered it in this monologue. Um, so <laughs> vaccines are way up, and and yet. We've already experienced more COVID-related deaths in 2021, and it's only the middle of October. Uh, you know, so it hadn't been a full year, and we've experienced more vaccine, uh, uh, more deaths, not vaccine, more deaths this year related to COVID than we did in 2020. You know, man's remedy against this pandemic has only made it worse. Man's remedy has caused the loss of livelihoods. It has shown, uh, like, jobs. It has shown serious sown, serious division in our country. It has increased the powers of our government astronomically. 
It has caused serious inflation, broken supply chains, and it has trampled on our nation's constitution. In fact, my governor in Idaho still has access to emergency powers, which supposedly he's only supposed to have access to them for 60 days, but it's been two years now. Biden doesn't even need to sign an executive order anymore to get people to comply. That's 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 where the government powers are at. And now this past week, um, I bring this up because over in the state of Washington, or, or we call it the Republic of Washington now, Governor uh, Inslee, we call him incompetent Inslee, is ruling like a dictator. He gave a deadline for of October 18th, which is this week, for every government employee to be vaccinated. And, of course, there's a lot of government employees that aren't going to do it um, because they believe in freedom and they aren't mindless cheap he's this has cost livelihoods of thousands in washington who refused to blindly follow the governor hundreds of cops were fired this last week uh you know seattle's doing so well without the cops anyways in the first place uh many medical professionals have lost their job firemen have lost their job in fact firemen are, are suing uh the mayor of spokane which is great and more and more people all have lost their jobs on october 18th the most famous person to lose his job this past week, you might have followed this, John. I, actually, you don't watch sports. But Washington State University's head coach, Nick Rolovich, lost his job along with four assistants. Nick Rolovich is the highest paid government employee in, in Washington. He gets paid like $3.5 million a year. Um, so he had a lot on the line. And and he didn't get vaccinated. Um, and he stood on his, his grounds. But what the media is not telling you, and for that matter, the AD and president of Wazoo, is that Nick's religious exemption was denied. That's why he got fired. Everybody's arguing that Nick did this to himself, but no, WSU and incompetent Inslee denied his religious exemption. But there's, but here's the thing. They kind of can deny his religious ex- exemption because, you know, Pastor Robert Jeffries uh, of First Baptist Dallas says there's no basis for a religious exemption. Russell Moore and Walter Kim co-wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post. Um, this is back in February. And, and they said this, quote, By getting vaccinated as soon as our time is called, we can actively work for what we have been praying for. Churches filled with people, hugs in the church foyer, and singing loudly together the hymns we love. They go on to say in the same op-ed, all we ask to do is to get a shot. Uh-huh. And evangelical Christians, we should all hear that challenge and say, amen. <laughs> that, was, that was their op-ed in the Washington Post. While big Eva leaders are prostituting themselves at the temple of COVID's front doors, guys like Nick, uh, you know, Coach Nick, and police officers like the ones in Washington State Pastors like John MacArthur and business owners of gyms, restaurants, you know, hair salons, they're actually fighting for real freedoms. That's what they're doing. They have not been blinded by the lust of acceptance, but have mustered up real courage that has lost some millions of dollars, like in Coach Nick's example. Uh, he lost at least $3.5 million next year, and the life of his contract is, I think, in the tens of millions. Uh, or it has cost them real cultural equity, as Jonathan Lehman likes to put it, you know, use cultural equity. We need men with backbones. 
that have real genuine courage, that have that understand the battles we're facing. That is what we need. Courage begets courage. So start in your house, and this is where all courage starts. Start in your house by confessing your sins. Start in your churches by, by singing psalms. It takes real courage to sing some of those psalms. Start in your city by living your faith out in the streets, in the streets. So courage begets courage. And when you have leaders like Russell Moore, Robert Jeffries, Walter Kim, all these, you know, big Eva leaders, you know, bowing down at the temple doors of COVID, uh, we need real men to stand up, I think, more than ever. And it's funny that a lot of the courageous actions are coming from, you know, guys like Coach Nick, you know, guys, uh, you know, the policemen, the uh, the gym owners, the hair salon owners. It's not really coming from the church. You know, we got good examples like John MacArthur, praise God. Uh, but it's it's crazy how the church is kind of capitulating in, in all this. Um, what do you think, John? Uh, it, something occurred to me as you were talking about Big Eva that we could – Maybe maybe we should coin a new term. Uh, you got evangelicals, and then you got evangelifish, and those are the ones who basically have no spine. They did, have no internal it, skeletal system that enables right. them to stand up. That's right. Did you did you ever read uh, Doug's book, Evangelifish? No, you didn't. Oh no, I got to send you a copy of that book. I I thought I just thought that up. No, <laughs> he actually <laughs> he actually wrote a book. <laughs> on it Doug wilson <laughs> that's, a, that's all the good ideas already <laughs> he wrote uh, the books entitled evangelifish and it's kind of a a comedy i don't know a, a tragedy comedy of I thought it was funny of the evangelical church and it's a, it's a great story it's actually really you would really like it um, I thought it was funny when it was my idea. I'm less impressed with Doug's idea. <laughs> it's now it's kind of boring. It's not really yeah. I, I don't, not really connecting with that anymore. It's weird. Well, you're you're right though. I think that there's a uh, I, I'm I'm the eternal pessimist. I'm I'm always the one who's like the grass is not green on either side of the fence. That's me. Um, you're Eeyore. It, it, it seems to be that there could be. I, I think that all of this, these people standing up and getting fired, getting publicly fired, losing their jobs, is sorting is sort of starting to create some courage yeah. that's rippling out because people are realizing that they're not alone. Yeah. Um, that's once once we figured out, hey, there's more of us. There's more than just me who's tired of these masks and tired of mandates, and mm-hmm. there's there's a whole bunch of people out there. Right. Uh, that's going to make a, a difference. I think. Right. And I hope, you know, it is it has been just amazing to watch this last two years go down and how all these people who are claiming, you know, we need to be authentic, we need to be real, we need bodily autonomy, individuality, and all this stuff, and just watch them all line up in a row and just just be herded like sheep these last two years through all this pandemic. It's been, you know, um, what, I mean, you can't even say maddening. It's just been, it's been laughable. To watch this happen, and a lot of Christians have just jumped right in that line with them, right? Well, because I think a lot of Christians are 
uh, were deluded into thinking that the church was actually having some sort of an impact on the culture. I think we told ourselves Stop that it, John. You know, we're, we're reaching people for Jesus. We're shining a light into this darkened world. That's right. And we really thought we were, yeah. um, but we weren't. Wow. So That's right. So last week, we talked a little bit about comedy. Then we had some guys from Apologia Utah come on. We didn't kind of get out, um, uh, kind of get to the full subject that we wanted to get to, uh, talking about comedy. And, we, you know, one of the questions I, I kind of posed you last week that we really didn't get to answer very much. But um, but actually, well, let me say the question and we'll get to it. I want to ask a question before this. You know, how come the church has not encouraged comedians? Um, you know, how come the church has not encouraged its congregants getting into that genre of work? Um, so pin that. I want to actually start with you. Um, I think I've asked you this question before, but whatever, if I have asked it, I've forgotten the answer already. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to be a really great um, reminder. Um, <laughs> well, this time you're going to have to write it down, Gabe. I'm not going to tell you again. How, exactly. How did how did you become a you know comedian in the first place? It's not like uh, when you're eight years old, you, you say, oh, man, I want to be a comedian. I'm going to grow up and be a comedian. How does... How'd you get into it? I, I think some people do. My my buddy Dave Pendleton has wanted to be a ventriloquist since he was a boy, and that's what he is. But um, yeah, but ventriloquists aren't comedians. Oh, Ooh. don't don't share this show with Dave. Snap. Don't don't show this on. share with Dave. <laughs> get him on water break. <laughs> let's have a let's have a tsunami on water break. <laughs> um, throwing down with the ventriloquists. <laughs> I, I was always fascinated by comedy, and I was always funny. Okay. Um, comedy, the the ability to be funny and to make people laugh is a gift that God gives some people. Like like everything else, God gives all good gifts, and so I was I always knew how to be funny when I was a kid. Okay, and I just decided when I got out of school, I was watching comedy on television. And I turned to my wife and I said, I think I'm as funny as this guy. And she goes, I think you are too. And I said, I wonder how you do this. And so I just called the comedy club. I had no idea how, how it worked. Okay. Turns out there's a thing called an open mic and you go down and you put your name on a list and they give you two minutes and you stand up and you try to be funny for two minutes. And, and I did, and I liked it mm-hmm. and I just kept going back. Okay. And it's, there's sort of a community and open mic and doing comedy was a hobby for me. And like some guys, some guys golf and some guys collect things. And, uh, yeah. and I, I went and did comedy. Okay. And so that was, that was how I got started. I never had any intention of doing it as a, as a living okay. full time. And I, and it was my part, part-time income for a long time for probably, uh, 12 or 13 years. I was doing comedy on the side. Okay. And how, how old were you when you started becoming like a paid full-time comedian? Uh, full-time? Mm-hmm. I was probably 28, I guess, okay. 27, 28, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I've been doing comedy for, for a number of years. So you basically started when you're about, what, 22 years old-ish, 24 in that yeah. time? Okay. Yeah, and, barely old enough to get into the bar. Yeah, right. So. And when you when you so you'd go in, you do your two minute bit. Did you like think that out, write it out? Like, how did you even prepare your first you know shows? 
Yeah, I had it. I had it written and prepared because I had I, I'd been a student of comedy my whole life. I, I, I just thought stand up was was fascinating. And so mm -hmm. I knew that there was material that they were doing. I knew they weren't just making it up as they went. Right. And so, and so I thought it out in advance and I had sort of like I said, I was a student. And so I knew what material sounded like. Mm -hmm. I knew what stand up that there was a cadence there was a rhythm. And uh, I knew that there had to be punchlines, you know, fairly frequently. So I <laughs> regularly. Yeah, regularly. You do you do your whole five minute bit and the punchlines at the end and Yeah. Doesn't work. Well there are there are people that do that. Really? I've, I've seen that happen many times. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Okay, and then so um you started becoming a full time comedian. Now was it was your process to becoming a comedian, was it kind of um, supported or through the church or were you just working with a lot of secular different organizations, clubs, stuff like that and that's how you became a full-time comedian? How did that process come about? Well, the process for me was different from most other people in that I never had to go on the road. Most comics I, I was in the comedy club, so it wasn't a church. Mm -hmm. uh, when I started doing comedy, you know, there wasn't much comedy in the church. The, mm -hmm. they, it hadn't really become a a viable thing to do yet uh -huh. and so i was in a comedy club there was two comedy clubs in indianapolis and between they were owned by the same couple and for some reason they liked me um looking back i know that it was all providential this was all what i was this was the path that i was supposed to take right um but yeah between those two clubs that they owned they gave me um a lot of work as an mc and okay an mc you know i so i was at lots of shows in front of lots of different audiences some of them were good some of them were were drunk Ooh. some of them were you know there was just yeah. this whole range of audiences mm -hmm. and night after night i was getting up and doing my set and and i just got you get good when you get yeah. a chance to do it every single night right and repetition and practice and so on so uh you were doing comedy night after night were you having to write like a new bit every night Mm -mm. Nope. You, you have to take, uh, you, you've got to work on your core, uh, material okay. and, and you polish it because it doesn't always work no. and, and it doesn't always work as well as it can. You know, there's a, there's a win a honing process that goes on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so once you get a, once you get a bit, a joke that works, well, then you, you keep that one and then you can work on new material. Mm -hmm. But, but comedy is what you see on stage is the result of lots and lots of hours doing things that didn't work. What you, wow. what you see in the, a lot of failure, all of the best stuff. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. What, uh, so that winnowing process, that's interesting. Um, when you're up on stage and you realize that that joke's not funny, how do you handle that, that moment? Well, it, now I handle it differently than I did when I was first starting out. Okay. You know, when you're only starting out, you only have like three jokes, you know? So if one of them doesn't work, that's a third of your act. Yeah. And so, and so you have to kind of, you just have to kind of own it. You uh -huh. know, I'm, I'm an, I'm a noob and this isn't going very well now, <laughs> you know, a bad joke is, is just a fraction. It's a tiny little fraction of the whole act. Uh -huh. And so, um, so how does that bad joke get in there? Because obviously it's it sounded funny on paper, 
or in, in the green room, whatever, and then it comes out to the audience and then it doesn't land? What ha- What's happening there? That usually doesn't happen as much um, anymore because I've, I kind of have a, a pretty good sense of what's going to work and how to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even the bad jokes now don't usually completely bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what's basically happening is that I'm not saying it right. If it's, if it's not hitting, it's usually not because it's usually not the audience's fault. It's usually that I haven't, I haven't structured it correctly or I'm not communicating it the way it needs to be communicated. Right. And oftentimes if it doesn't work, I can, I can go, okay, what happened here and figure it out and rework it and make it go. Do you do a lot of, do you do a lot of chalk talk where you, you get the video of your recording and kind of rewatch it, see where the audience laughed, where they laughed harder, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't do that as much as I used to. Um, because, uh, well, frankly, I'm working on new material all the time now. I'm doing a lot of writing on the blog. I'm doing a lot of podcasting. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm writing for the Fight, Laugh, Feast magazine. Yes. Um, Christmas edition coming out. That's right. Yep. Um, and so I, I don't really have, I, I don't, I don't really have the, the time or, or the need to rework things. You know, I put things out and I go, okay, well, this is, this is good. And this is going to work. And if it doesn't work, um, you know, then I'm on to the next thing already. So yeah, I don't, I don't really hone things like I used to because I'm not doing stand up the way that I, that I used to. Okay. And what is, so you started comedy when you were in your twenties, you were a Mm -hmm. Christian. Did you grow up Christian, become a Christian? What happened? Yep. With you and Jesus. Grew up a a Christian. I was, uh, I was baptized when I was eight. Okay. And, uh, and I grew up, mom took me to church. Okay. Me and my brother. And and so Um, what was your, um, how did comedy and your walk with the Lord kind of mix or work? What was, you know, how was your faith growing along with your craft, that kind of thing? I had a, um, conversation with God when I was, I was out of high school, but not much out of high school. And there was a program on television back when, uh, back when there were only like three networks and Roseanne Barr and a whole bunch of different comics and and celebrities were on this program and they were speaking specifically to youth. This was a a message to America's youth. Mm -hmm. And it was all of these high powered athletes and celebrities and people who, who were given a few minutes just to say something profound and important to America's youth. And I remember Roseanne Barr with this gigantic platform and all of these people watching, she said to America's youth, wear a condom. That was her, that was wow. her contribution to the knowledge of America. Wow. And I thought, okay. And my conversation with God was, if I am ever afforded a platform, if you ever see, um, if, if it's ever part of your plan that I have a microphone like was just handed to Roseanne Barr, right. um, then I want you to help me make sure that I have something more valuable to say than that. <laughs> Amen. And that was... So that was it. That was the the thing that spurred me on to go um, and try to become uh, try to become excellent. I mean, uh-huh. I wanted I, I knew that there was power 
in being able to be funny. I knew that you had influence when you can make people laugh. Yeah. And I knew that that was how Roseanne got her influence was right. she was a standup right. and that led to her sitcom and everything else. And so it's like, okay, if, if this is the path that I'm going to walk, then I want to be able to have something of substance to say, if anybody is ever paying attention to me when I talk. So you talked about influence there. Um, it seems like comedians can be driven by a lust for influence, a lust to be like a, you know, desire to be popular, famous, uh, you know, having a thousand people in front of you. Um, and you're the one on stage making all these people laugh. Mm -hmm. There is a draw there and there's, there's nothing wrong with liking that craft, liking being in front of an audience you know, liking making people laugh, that's that's all fine, but it, it also seems like that could become an idol very easily. Um, how do you kind of sort through that dynamic? It's It really is a catch-22, because on the one hand, you're saying, well, I want to I say something of substance, and I believe that what I have to say, because we're talking about Christ, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately it's a, it's a testimony, if I, any success that I have is ultimately pointed back to the creator. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do you juxtapose that with, yeah, but there's, it's also me. And there's the possibility that I could step in front of the creator and try to take credit for all of this stuff that is being given to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that how I have tried to, how I've tried to avoid that is just being aware of the possibility that when the audience starts to applaud that they're not really doing it for me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, I have of my, on my own, there's no reason to pay attention to anything that I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, but I can point you to um, the author of life. I can point you to the maker of your soul mm -hmm. and encourage you to, um, to let him, occupy the throne of your life. Right. But in order to do that, I, I want to say that to as many people as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm, if I have influence and then God has given me that influence and I need to use it for his, for his glory. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right. It's, it's a, it's a thing that can, that can ruin a lot of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I have often in my conversations with God, asked him okay is the part of the reason that i don't have the same monolithic success in terms of um fans mm -hmm. that other people have is that is that for my protection is it because you know that i wouldn't be able to handle it yeah and if so then okay i'm cool with that yeah. and i'll just keep doing what i think i'm supposed to do for whoever shows up right right i think i think related to that you know we're, we do everything for god's glory we get our eyes set and oriented rightly, um, and then um, so we make sure our orientation of of who we're trying to please is first and foremost Jesus, uh, and and then I think related to that is we also walk down that path with open hands. Um, so knowing that I need to, you know, I want to say what God has um, put on my heart, has convicted me to say, has given me the convictions to say. I want to say all the truths in his word and if and if what I say 
um, and I'm being faithful in what I say, removes that audience out there, if that audience leaves, well, um, I'm being faithful. You know, so if God gives me the audience, um, and I, you know, I need to be faithful with what I need to say, and and if God decides to take away the audience, my hands are open. I'm I'm right. just doing what He's called me to do, and and so I think that is um, also how you kind of avoid um, uh, that that lust, that idolatrous lust for being liked or wanting to have a big crowd in front of you, and kind of seeking that 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 thrill. You know. I have I have some people that God has put in my life who have been negative examples for what happens when you need to have the accolades and the applause of people. Mm-hmm. And it is it's ruined their lives, basically, mm-hmm. because they used to be here. They used to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they are less of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and it has created a, you know, an anxiety and a sadness that. I, right. I feel bad for them, but right. at the same time, I'm kind of grateful right. uh, that I don't, that I'm not in that place. Yeah. If I, if I need to have a million people applauding for me or else I'm, mm-hmm. or else I feel unfulfilled, that, that's a, that would be awful. That'd be a terrible way to live. And it's kind of like wa- watching a washed up actor, you know, he was an A-lister back in the day kind of thing. And then now he's, you know, 65, 70 years old, um, doesn't have any of his charm, any of his good looks anymore. And they're, they're lost. Right. Like they, they've lost all meaning in life. They don't have those people surrounding them. They like they used to, they don't have that fame, that fame and that stardom that they used to have. And now they're like, okay, now what? It's like, like you said, or you started off with talking about Solomon, like Solomon had all the money, had all the girls, had all the kingdom. And, and then he wrote Ecclesiastes. He's like, wow, that was all, that was all worthless. Right. Right. So you can learn from, you can learn from those people. Yep, that's right. So um, I, I started off, the first question I, I asked was, you know, um, it seems like the church has not encouraged callings in this area. Has not has kind of, um, not that, maybe they haven't even totally discouraged it, but it's not, um, it's not really an encouraged genre or job to go after. Why has um, comedians not been emphasized or not been, I don't want to say emphasize. I don't want to be, but why, why have comedians not really kind of come out of the church very well? I think the church uh, historically has been, uh, has compartmentalized um, preachers mm-hmm. and, and comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put, they put them kind of in two separate categories. I've done many, many, many events in churches where I've been told specifically, we don't want you to preach. We don't want you to, to, we just want you to do comedy. And I'm, I'm an easy enough guy to get along with. I'm like, okay. Um, but what you don't understand is that everybody preaches, mm-hmm. you know, when I, every, every comedian that gets up and says things in front of an audience is preaching. They're declaring a message mm-hmm. of some sort. Right. There is a philosophy underlying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church is all about that when you identify specifically as a preacher but if you identify as anything other than a preacher um, then they go well that's not that's not really what we're about Mm -hmm. we're about proclaiming the gospel and so i i think the church is is just a little behind um on when it comes to understanding what it is that that comedians and speakers and preachers and teachers do Mm -hmm. we all do the same thing Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, um, 
where the emphasis is put. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of preachers. Some of the most effective preachers are funny people. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll hear people say, well, our, our pastor's funny. He could be a comedian. And it's like, yeah, well, there that is again, where we're, we're making a differentiation between <laughs> yeah. a comedian and a pastor. Yeah. And they can they can and should be the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, and you probably might agree here with me, but to kind of clarify that point, there really is such thing as being called to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you aren't you aren't making that differentiation in terms of, you know, calling church structure, that kind of thing. You're what you're trying to um, equate is kind of the 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 way the message is delivered what what that person is doing uh, you know work that out for me a little bit right so there's kind of the official calling of pastor but what you're trying to work out what you're trying to draw attention to is is not that pastors and comedians um have the same structural church calling um and you know all all comedians should be elders kind of thing or all comedians should be pastors kind of thing what you're trying to do is um uh flesh out the 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 um tool of what it means to speak in front of an audience is that that's what you're kind of getting at right i'm not i'm specifically i'm talking about communicating ideas okay. to people mm-hmm. um now now the uh, the ditch that made me think of when you were kind of talking about that then uh was that it seems to me that a lot of Christian comedians don't think they're funny if they don't, um, if they can't, they have to bring up, you know, a story in the Bible or they have to, you know, it's like, it's like God, Jesus Bible. It's like Christian music where if you don't reference Jesus in the song, then it's not a Christian song. Mm-hmm. So that's a ditch that I think is really problematic. Um, partly because you're just comp- comp- compartmentalizing things. But it also is very short-sighted, you know, because God's world is is His world. Every subject, every every you don't have to reference the Bible to be funny. Um, right. So maybe maybe kind of talk a little bit about you know kind of Christian comedians and and the it seems like the need for Christian comedians to kind of dumb down their me- or or kind of tidy up their message, but also have to you know if like they don't mention Jesus or the Bible in their comedic standup, then they aren't really Christian comedians. Right. Well, the the uh, I have a, an illustration that I want to read, like a real life example, because um, you're you and I were talking about why why Christians um, should be should be funnier. That's one of my soapboxes is why should Christians work on their sense of humor? Why should they become, you know, knowledgeable in how comedy works? Mm-hmm. Um and, and the question that you just asked, I think, is sort of similar to that in that if you, we've got this compartmentalized idea about how and we compartmentalize our Christianity, too. And that's the problem. The mm-hmm. problem is that we've got our faith over here in a little box. And then we've got all and then we've got our politics in another box. That's and then right. we've got our education in another box. And then and then we've got, you know, movies and entertainment is in another box mm-hmm. rather than everything all being kind of controlled and guided under by our religion, by our religious views. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christians have a tendency to be bad at comedy because they are, um, be, because they, they don't understand that be, that being able to make fun of yourself mm-hmm. um, is, 
is the first the first step that you have to take before you can be critical or make fun of other people. Right. Um, right. And and Christians are so sensitive. Uh, just this week, a um, friend of mine who's a Christian comedian um, asked the question on Facebook. He said, "Tell me, tell me you're a Christian conservative without telling me you're a Christian conservative." That was his charge. Okay. So he wanted people to say, "Tell me I'm a Christian conservative without telling me." that you're a Christian conservative. That's funny. Okay. All right. So basically what he's asking us to do is to, uh, is to poke fun at ourselves. He's yeah. asking us to expose a stereotype. Yep. That's what he wants. Yeah. He wants to tell me, tell me this Christian conservative stereotype, mm -hmm. but I'm telling you the answers that he got, he got, he got 1300 comments, 1300 come. And most of them are, are terrible. Wow. Um, you know, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and lived in its belly for three days. Everyone in Congress and the Senate right now need to go. Uh, the Holy Bible is the word of God. It is to be read and adhered to. God loves us, but he has guardrails for our lives that are for our good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's true, but mm. that's not what he was asking for. Right, right. He was asking, he was asking us, I follow the way, the truth, and the life. The American people need to stop being sissies and put a helmet on. I love Jesus. I don't believe CRT should be taught in schools. Okay. <laughs> These are our brothers and sisters. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, you know, but come he's, on. he's looking more for answers. Like I tattooed the American flag on my back. There you go. You know, right. kind of, that kind of stuff. My um, comment. Although was, I would debate your conservatism if you're doing tattoos, but that's a different. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I wrote, the universe was created in six literal days, and Donald Trump is my president. <laughs> oh, that's now, fantastic! Right, that that that's really good. Assignment. Yep. But underneath, I got comments from these people that were basically critical. Um, uh, the Trump Trump comments, the Trump comment. He was neither a Christian nor a conservative. Wow. Now, so this is why the church has got to get better at doing comedy. Yeah. Because if somebody who is on the outside, somebody who's outside the church looking in at this is going to go, particularly if it's a, if it's a person who has some comedy chops, right? they're going to look at this and they're going to go, oh my stars, these people are without a clue. Right. Um, because we don't have the ability to laugh at ourselves. Right. We don't have the ability to go, okay, what's funny about Christians? Mm-hmm. And, and part of the problem is that that Christians don't know the difference between mocking um, their faith or mocking the things of God mm -hmm. and mocking themselves. Right, right. And we have, we have elevated our own status as Christians way, way up too high. Right. We, we think that we are above mockery, right. and we're not. Right. We, we should be laughed at. If we're going to if we're going to laugh at the people who are you know on the other side the people who do not believe as we do mm -hmm. then we have to be willing to laugh at ourselves as well. So why why do you, um why are Christians you probably already hit on some of this but why are Christians not very good at comedy? Um now before I say that I I think there's also a there's kind of a a I don't know if it's a false view but maybe a perception that 
because um, there's a lot of good Christian comedians out there that even, people don't even know that they're Christians. Um, but a few, a few, yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't want to kind of take away from those who are being successful and doing well and that kind of thing. But, but it seems to me that that Christians are not very good at comedy in the first place. I mean, I, I, I can't remember the last Christian stand-up special that I watched. Right. Other than mine. Yeah, um, and yours was fantastic. Caveat. <laughs> the, the reason that Christians are not very good at comedy is because they don't have the intestinal fortitude to fight. Um, comedy is absolutely uh, aggressive. Yeah. You, can't do, you won't be funny if you're passive. Mm-hmm. And the church has many generations, at least in America, Western culture, of being passive, mm-hmm. of, of backing down and not being offensive. We have mm-hmm. torn away everything that could potentially upset somebody in the name of unity and, and loving them to Jesus. And the reason that we're not funny is because we don't have any, as you were talking about earlier, we don't have anything of substance to say. We're not willing to stand up and even defend any of our own principles. We won't defend any of our doctrine right. with any That's sort right. of gusto or wow. passion mm-hmm. and if you're not passionate about what you're saying then you're not going to be funny right that's really um good and that and i think that's you know i i left the tsunami monologue last week with basically um com- comedy is not funny anymore um because it's not masculine anymore um right because we've lost what it means to be masculine so in a lot of ways comedy um, carries a lot of masculine traits where you have to be bold, you have to be courageous, you have to be, um, uh, you know, like you said, you got to be ready for battle because comedy is a battle. Right. I, I've had um, a, a number of conversations with people who will ask me the question, uh, they'll say, so you think you're better than I am because you're a Christian? And they ask that question because they have asked other Christians that question. And those Christians have responded with, oh, no, I'm not better than you. And they'll say something about, you know, we're all we are all sinners and and I'm not any better than you. And so but I don't respond that way. When somebody says, you think you're a Christian and that makes you better than me? I always say yes. And not just a little bit better. I'm way better than you. (laughs) I'm not even you're not even in the same universe. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And and how is it? and, And but that is. If, unless I'm misunderstanding, that's kind of what the gospel says, right? right. That you right. used to be this, you used to be lost, that's you used right. to be an enemy of God, Amen. and now you're an heir to the kingdom. Right? You're an heir, you're part of the family. Mm-hmm. How does that not make me better than mm-hmm. somebody who is outside the family? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really good. I think the other way also to answer that question is, um, well, this kind of gets more presuppositional, but it's also, well, what do you mean by better? Well, sure. Right. It's like you think you're better than me. Well, your response is, "Well, what do you mean by better?" It sounds like it sounds like you're pointing at a standard. What what standard are we talking about here? Right. So, well, you can, yeah, you can. Obviously, you can go that direction, but right. most of the time, I'll just respond with, "Yes, I'm way better than you," and that triggers them and usually ends the conversation. And that tells <laughs> yeah. me that that wasn't a person who is genuinely seeking exactly any sort of insight. Anyway, so wh- but, why why should Christians uh, get into comedy? Why should this be something that 
um, we don't shy away from, we kind of lean into? Um, well, for one, like I said, that your, your, um, your passion will, will drive you. Mm-hmm. And so if you are, if you are funny, if you have the confidence to stand up and, and make people laugh, then it's going to increase your influence with those people. Um, people who, people are willing to follow somebody who makes them laugh. Mm-hmm. All you gotta do is look at the culture, look at the way that people worship celebrities, mm-hmm. um, for on based on nothing except the fact that they're famous or they, <laughs> they wear you know? certain kind of clothing or whatever. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's based on nothing and yeah. you can get legions of followers, um, who will, who will follow you and hang on every word that you say just by virtue of the fact that they recognize you from a movie. Yeah. Right. And so I would submit to my Christian brothers and sisters that we should be able to um, we should be able to compete for the attention of the lost world. I Mm -hmm. think that's what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And um, God has given us the ability to be to be clever, to think on our feet. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of us have to develop it. Mm -hmm. um, But but it's worthwhile. It, it's a it's a worthwhile endeavor to be a person who, when you speak, people pay attention to what you say. Mm-hmm. And if you're funny, that's all you have to do. All you have to do is be funny, and people right. will pay attention to what you have to say. But then, if you have something of real substance, if you haven't, if you have the words of life that you can give to somebody mm-hmm. after that, mm-hmm. well, that that alone is a reason for Christians mm-hmm. to have a joke or two in their back pocket. <laughs> so it seems like. Uh, that answer really kind of boils boils down to being able to be a leader and and mm-hmm. being able to be in a position of persuading people. It, and comedy also gives you the ability to diminish people's suffering. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a whole this is a whole chapter in my book. But the short version of it is that when you go into the uh, hospital, for example, and somebody is laying there in the hospital mm-hmm. bed, the, the last thing that they need is your sympathy mm-hmm. because sympathy doesn't really help anybody feel better. Right. What they need is to be removed from their suffering. They need to, they need to be able, lifted out of their suffering mm-hmm. for a few minutes. And the best way to do that is to distract them mm-hmm. with some sort of laughter. Right. Um, and if Christians have the, the skill set to do that, then when you're funny, mm-hmm. you can you can make people feel better. Yeah. You can diminish suffering in people's lives. I think it also related to this to this answer, you know, laughter in a lot of ways is a universal language. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody laughs, everybody likes to laugh, everybody you know, um and and so it, it it's kind of a a genre, kind of a a tool that really crosses barriers in a way that other, um, uh, you know, tools aren't able to, or other genres aren't able to cross barriers. Um, right. you know, a poet, not everybody listens to poems, you know, not everybody's into poems, whatever that, you know, um, uh, fiction, nonfiction, that, that kind of stuff. Not everybody's a reader, whatever, but uh, generally speaking, everybody, um, likes a good joke and likes to laugh. Um, and I, and God kind of designed us that way. Um, there's a there's a design feature I think that you're also getting at with comedy, and and um, you, you think of all the places in scripture that talk about joy, and of course 
the true joy is connected to the joy of the Lord is our strength, connected to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. You can't have true joy apart from Christ. Um, but there's a lot of joy, a lot of uh, humor, and a lot of laughter described in scriptures. And and so it's it's something that we shouldn't you know, be afraid of or, or lean away from. It's something that God, I think God really um, is glorified in. He really is glorified in when we laugh, when we, when we find joy in, in ourselves and in our quirks and making fun of ourselves. That's what I mean, not find joy in ourselves, but find joy in making fun of ourselves uh, and find joy in, in, in his story that he created. And, and, you know, God made fat people and short people and tall, you know, it's, 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 it is really uh, um, uh, funny God's creation. I mean, I think um, guys' bodies are just funny, you know, Girls are beautiful. Guys' bodies are funny. I mean, you know, it's like. <laughs> well, that was an abrupt turn. It sure was. It sure was. <laughs> you know, but, it, you know, God really did design a a world with a lot of angular, um, comical uh, things about it. And, and you miss. You miss a lot about what God's doing in this world if, if, you, if, if you can't laugh. So um, I guess. Kind of summarize, summarize that point really is um, laughter is kind of a universal language that it really has um, it really can bring people together in such a way where other other genres other tools can't it can um, and I think the the final thing that I want to say about the reason Christians struggle sometimes to be funny is because they are very reluctant to make themselves the object of ridicule um, mm-hmm. and the most the best comics and comedy subjective but in my opinion the best comics are always the ones who say let me tell you about the stupid thing that i did mm. and then and then they proceed to unpack that mm-hmm. and christians are are afraid that if we let people see the dumb things that we do and the dumb things that we say that they're going to think less of us and they're going to be repelled by us and we're going to somehow damage our witness when the opposite is true If you are a person who is very quick to sort of pull the mask off and say, here it is, you know, Mm -hmm. warts and all, Mm -hmm. then that is a person who is attractive Mm -hmm. to people. That is is a person who has no pretense. That is a person who they can let their hair down around because it's like, I'm comfortable with you because you've already let your hair down first. There's no... And you've already pointed out all of the flaws, all of the, the, there's a gap in your teeth and you're, and you're got a funny nose and, and you're not very good at math and you're a terrible speller. And you just (laughs) told me all of the stuff that's wrong with you. So I don't have to, I don't have to hide. Yeah. And it's very attractive and you, people want to spend time around somebody who knows how to laugh at themselves. Yeah. Who's not afraid to be mocked. Right. That's good. Uh, and you have a book out kind of on some of this stuff. Um, Life is Hardy Har Hard. Is that right? Yep. Life yep. is Hardy Har Hard. There yeah. it is. Um, and where can people get that book at? You can get it on my website, johnbrandy.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can also get it at Amazon. What if one of our listeners is like, you know what? I'm interested in being comedian. How can I touch bases with John? How can he get a hold of you? You can also go on the website, johnbrandy.com, and uh, you can listen to our podcast. We have a podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Yeah. Comedian Next Door. Comedian Next Door. Every time I say Comedian Next Door, I... 
He points. I point because it's, it's, it's next door. door. Yeah, there's a door. There's a neighbor over here <laughs> named John yep, Brandon. You can listen, listen to our podcast, uh-huh. and uh, you can get in touch with us through their next door at johnbrandy.com is the email. Okay, but yeah, reach out. I'm also on Gab. All right. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, hey man, thank you so much. Uh, I'm inspired. I've been I've, I've been writing jokes in my head just right now. Just I want to see them. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next week, John, you don't even know this, but I'm going to be in Louisiana, so no water break next week. But we'll be back on. Uh, I think that'll be November. We'll be back on November the week of November, and then I'll be gone again. Um, I got family wedding stuff, so um, we'll be off. This week, off this coming no week, tsunami. no tsunami, no tsunami, no tsunami next week. Uh, um, so, but we do got a great show coming up Sunday night. We have uh, a great interview with uh, Ray Simmons coming on uh, basically uh, um, the confessional county how to how to take over your local politics and everything. It's a pretty pretty exciting interview there and a great show coming. So tune in. Sunday night Sunday. for the Sunday special. And John, when when is your uh comedian next door released? It's released every Monday. Every Monday. Every Monday is a new episode. Every Monday in the app. I'm excited uh for what you're doing there. Thanks a bunch, John. Appreciate you and Amanda. All right, guys. We will look forward to seeing you Sunday night. But until then, uh love God and go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Water Break. What are those fools doing? Now, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the walls of Christendom, he was greatly enraged, and he jeered. What are those fools doing? Can they restore all these ruins themselves? Will they sacrifice? Do they think they can finish in a day? Will they revive the charred and shattered stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And the priests of modern decay laughed, saying, If so much as a fox goes up on their wall, he will break down their city. So we built our walls, for the people had a mind to work. And in the ruins of the West, we laid our foundations. From that day on, half of us worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And those who carried burdens were trained to labor on the work with one hand, and hold a weapon to defend it with the other. And all had a sword strapped to their sides, and a tool in their hands. In the ruins, we live, even while we rebuild them. In the ruins, we marry and make love and raise children who raise the walls. In the ruins, we craft wine and raise sanctuaries and barns. In the ruins, we build and we film and we write and we read and we sing and we laugh and play rugby with pumpkins. In the ruins, we raise our hands with swords and shovels and bless the Lord, for the earth is His and all who dwell therein. And each day, by His grace, we are less ruined. Each day our walls and our loves and our songs grow taller. For the city is a living city, and we are living stones.